This week on the Back Table Podcast. Many times before you have ever stepped in the room to see the patient, they are already have already spoken to the client. It's the same as in interventional radiology where you walk in to do a lung biopsy per se, and your nurse or tech has already fielded 30 questions from the patient. And in this case, if the if your assistant or your nurse in your office has had this done by you, the patient's going to say, have you ever had it done? Sure. And that, oh, is he's great. It doesn't hurt. Blah, blah, blah. And so for all those reasons, it's also helpful to ensure that your assistants or staff are happy. Um, they know what the procedure's like. They, uh, they've had it and they can speak to that. And it does do a fair amount to reassure the patient or client and make them more comfortable and more comfortable with their decision. Welcome to the Backtable podcast. Backtable is a resource created by IRs for IRs to connect with your colleagues and learn tips, techniques, and the ins and outs of the devices in your cabinets. Download our free iTunes app to access all previous episodes of our podcast, blog posts, and procedure-specific content to help you grow your practice. This is Michael Barraza returning as your host. Today, I'm excited to welcome back Dr. Aaron Shiloh from the Philadelphia Vascular Institute. In case you missed it, our first episode with Aaron on starting a vein clinic is our most popular episode to date. Today's back to talk about cosmetic IR. Aaron, thanks for joining us again today. Uh, I thought we'd start by just having you tell us about your experience in cosmetic IR, just beginning with how you got started. Thanks, Mike, uh, and thanks, Aaron, as well, uh, for having me back on. Um, so, yeah, it's actually a very interesting sort of segue in terms of you know how I began uh, doing uh, cosmetic-related procedures. And it is sort of related to the practice of uh, outpatient vein medicine. And I'm sure that many of us have seen how Botox particularly has become a mainstay of uh, American society and, and how uh, pretty much everyone's doing it, men and women. And it seems as though it should be something that's, let's say, just in the purview of a dermatologist or a plastic surgeon, but uh, the way that I viewed it and was viewed, I guess, by some of the people who uh, I knew who were already doing it is that as interventional radiologists, we do procedures on just about every uh, organ system, arteries, veins, we're in the brain, we're in the lung, spleen, you name it, we're there, we're putting wires, catheters, but we're also taking care of these patients while they're awake. Many procedures are done with local anesthesia only, and those that aren't are done with moderate sedation. So, you know, these are procedures that are done on entirely uh, on an outpatient basis. They're done with, um, you know, just understanding the anatomy that's involved in the face, particularly when you're talking about Botox and Juvederm. And the, thus, it's not necessarily uh, just the purview of the physicians that somehow uh, basically created these things, plastic surgeons and 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 in fact, in most of those doctors' offices in today's day and age, those uh, procedures are actually delegated to nurses. Nurse practitioners become the experts in doing the Botox and the fillers. So again, if you think as an interventional radiologist physician that you're somehow unable to do these things, uh, you're mistaken. And Botox can be done by anybody. In many places, they're done by ophthalmologists, optometrists, even dentists, uh, OBGYNs are doing it. And it's just a matter of understanding the facial anatomy, understanding how the various uh, tools are used and in what situation. Um, and just like any other procedures that you learn 
along the way, whether they're in residency, fellowship, or afterwards. It's just a matter of educating yourself on uh, the proper way to do it and keeping yourself out of trouble. Um, and fortunately, these are fairly uh, things, and, and you can uh, continue to do it. And thus, in a vein practice, especially, uh, which was where this started, if you have a patient who's coming to see you, uh, even if it's initially for uh, medical vein disease, many of them also have uh, cosmetic issues, in particular spider veins. And so spider veins and spider vein sclerotherapy is a cosmetic aesthetic procedure. It also requires a certain skill, and which can be learned. But really, it's just about holding a needle and entering in the vein and then injecting a sclerosing, sclerosing agent. So in those situations, if you have patients, women, let's say primarily, but also men, who are you're, you're already taking care of as your patients – then they, and they know that you're capable of doing good work with your hands while they're awake, then there's no reason why you can't then market to them and, and, and do these uh, procedures that are just a variance from many of the other procedures that we do. And so that was the rationale uh, behind expanding my vein practice into uh, aesthetics or cosmetic procedures. And it's a way to generate revenue. It's, it's a cash business. Um, and thus you don't have to go through insurance. There's no insurance denials. If the patient wants it, you basically tell them how much you're charging. If you're using Botox, an example, uh, how much you're charging per unit. And you know, after you understand how it's done, you know, you know how to say, okay, well, this is going to be 30 units and you determine how much your local market is for, for Botox. Uh, about $12 a unit. And you say, okay, 30 units times 12 takes you, you know, 15 minutes to do and then that's it. And you move on. So it, I think it goes hand in hand with doing um, vein work and the aesthetic vein work that goes with it. You bring up another important point when you talk about learning it. You know, how do you and, and other physicians doing this go about learning the techniques for this and the other cosmetic IR procedures? Well, um, I was fortunate enough that uh, I I was reached out to the Allergan rep, and she recommended um, a, a specific course um, that uh, the company is Palette. Um, and if you go to the Palette's website, they offer courses which they call Level One, Level Two, Level Three. The Level One being, let's say, for the inexperienced novel user, and uh, you find a course and you sign up. They're relatively inexpensive. You, uh, that course, for example, you bring a model. And oftentimes, I think for us, it's not very hard to find volunteers. And that person comes with you. You bring your own Botox, let's say, and fillers if you're going to do both. And the courses typically run. I can speak to the ones I've, I've been to. They're run by a, let's say, flat facial plastic surgeon. And you go through about an hour, two hours of didactics where you review how the various uh, uh, drugs work or Botox is a, um, you know, paralyzes the muscle and fillers like Juvederm, how they work. And you go over some of the basics of facial anatomy, as well as the, you know, hazardous areas of the face to avoid. And then you segue into then having hands-on training whereby you uh, inject your own model under the supervision of a, a expert and, you know, like a facial plastic surgeon. So that was the first thing I did. I mean, the one thing I would say though, is that, uh, the way the laws are set up in, in most States is that 
you, in order to be able to inject somebody, uh, as we know from proceduralists, you need to have a license in that state. So I can't just fly out to Utah and start doing interventional radiology procedures without having a license in Utah. Same thing. I can't go to Utah for a course in Botox and start injecting patients. So my recommendation would be if you use Palette or a place or um, a course like it, make sure it's one that, you know, you do it in your own state or a state where you have a medical license so that you can do the hands-on training. Uh, once I did that, um, I also uh, reached out to another local nurse uh, injector here who ran some courses. And uh, obviously, I had to pay her for her time. She came and we had a Botox party at my house, in fact and uh, brought over some of uh, my wife's friends. And again, under her supervision, I ended up injecting another four or five people. And then um, after that, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, finding clients. And, and the easiest thing to do in, this, in our world, and especially if you own or run a vein practice or do some of that work, is to just put up marketing materials in your own office, put things for people to read while they're waiting, and inevitably, someone will say, oh, you do Botox? And you say, yeah, I do it. And, and uh, you know, you can discuss it with them. Maybe they've been somewhere else and they weren't happy with their results. And since you've taken care of their veins, they'll give you a shot. And um, that's pretty much the, um, at least my recommendation about how to get started. And it's not rocket science. You know, there's basically, you know, uh, muscles in the face that you have to understand. And, and you have to understand what paralyzing those muscles does. And uh, that's pretty much it. In a few minutes, I'd like to get more into the marketing because I think, you know, pretty much everybody in our community has a lot to learn from you in terms of using the Internet for marketing purposes. But uh, staying with the cosmetic theme, um, what are the things do you and other people in the community do that you would consider cosmetic IR? Well, um, you know, certainly cosmetic sclerotherapy for veins, particularly in the legs. Um, there are people who do um, rejuvenation of hands, uh, whether someone has no fat and such their uh, bones are prominent and you can inject fillers in between those spaces. There's people who do that in combination with foam sclerotherapy of some of the, uh, let's say, prominent um, hand veins. And so uh, that's usually a combination therapy with foam sclerotherapy and Juvederm. Um, as well as, of course, then uh, Botox and fillers in the face. Now, at the most recent SIR meeting, um, when I sat on one of the panels, some people have gotten into using lasers to do laser uh, rejuvenation for the face. And once you do that, I mean, you can market whatever you want. You can start doing other medical lasers like uh, laser hair removal, laser tattoo removal. You know, and I've heard of some people doing all that. Uh, finally, there's not a, hand, a lot of people, but uh, there was a bit of time where I was also doing other slightly more invasive procedures like smart lipo and using the same tumescent lidocaine that we use, client solution, that we use for doing uh, varicose vein ablation. So, again, it's not as far-fetched as it may seem in your mind, like, oh, my God, how do I go from this to that? But if you've ever done tumescent lidocaine and surrounded a vein, then you can inject tumescent lidocaine into the subcutaneous tissue of the abdomen and flanks. And uh, make a tiny nick with a uh, leaven blade, put in uh, a laser cannula, fire the laser for a couple minutes to coagulate the fat, and then put in a cannula to aspirate it. I mean, yeah, obviously there's more to it than that, and maybe I'm minimizing it, but the reality is is that <clears throat> it's not as extremely far-fetched from the things that we currently do, and certainly it's not as um, complex or dangerous from a purely medical standpoint. 
finally, and last thing is that uh, you can get into some of the uh, non-invasive fat reduction. So in my particular office, when I was looking at it, I was looking for things that would generate passive revenue when I wasn't there because I was working at the hospital. I was also working in my vein office. And so the three days a week I wasn't in my vein office, the place sat idle. So getting into non-invasive uh, fat reduction is a way where you can have a assistant, a tech, whatever, do procedures while you're not there. And the you know ones you hear about the most on television, of course, is cool sculpting, which is cryo, basically freezing fat. We all know about freezing tumors. Uh, there's something called sculpture, which uses radio frequency energy. And there's the one that I ended up choosing, which is called ultra shape, which uses essentially high frequency ultrasound or high foo to blast fat about an, and can actually achieve, um, you know, fat reduction without ever, uh, you know, sticking a needle in somebody. So I just thought, okay, well, just cause I'm a radiologist or an interventional radiologist, why can't I? use ultra shape. I certainly understand ultrasound. I understand what high intensity frequency ultrasound is. I know what shockwave lithotripsy is. I understand the, the mechanics of it, the physics of it. And, you know, it's just a matter of, um, you know, getting that in your head and understanding that it's not out of your realm of uh, expertise and, uh, you know, purchasing a machine or leasing it in my case. And then uh, through doing that, then just it's a matter of training people and, and again, marketing to the same patients that you have is the simplest thing to do. And then, um, as Mike was saying, then there's other ways to market that either require spending some money or just a little bit more aggressive. But the simplest thing to do is to do your own in-house marketing. What do you mean by in-house marketing? I mean, you just mean to your own patients? Correct. Like over time, you know, uh, you know, again, one of the smartest things to do is um, get a uh, program and there's a lot out there, but something I'll use as an example is like constant contact. So every patient who ever came in who has, say, vein disease, we would enter them into constant contact and you have a list of 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 patients that are your patients, you can set up intermittent mailings uh, or something creative like it's valentine's day or christmas or whatever you know get um get you know botox is now ten dollars a unit for the you know a week before christmas or you can do a uh a black friday kind of event or cyber monday where you offer some deals because people do it and and you think to your existing patients who fill out that in their information uh, when they're in your office. And yeah, not everybody responds. We all know that. But again, just like all the other marketing, if they see you and they see you and they see you, eventually they're going to think of you and maybe that's the time. And if you get a handful of people from each one of those events, that, that generates revenue. So the simplest thing is just look at your patients and then, and then email them periodically through whatever program you choose. And, and that's one of the simplest things. And as well as putting up, brochures in your own office. Uh, there may be, you know, you can put up video clips on a laptop, the ultra shape machine that I have and the uh, Vela shape machine. Uh, they all have screens that can run movies and they, if we're not, they're not in use, they sit in the waiting area. And I can't tell you how many people ask me, Oh, what's that machine? Or what does that do? Oh, really? And, uh, same thing. Oh, you, you do Botox or you do fillers. And it's just cause they've waited a few minutes in the waiting area. And, they're reading the materials they have there. It's not rocket science. I mean, they're, you go to the dentist's office and they have stuff about, you know, Zoom whitening or they have something about veneers or whatever. And it's not, not everybody's going to ask them about it. But if one of the 30 patients that comes through there a day says, hey, I'm interested in teeth whitening, 
you know, it's basically a low cost way of marketing to the existing uh, clientele that you have. And, and most of us know you're also doing uh, a lot of, of online marketing. And um, could you tell us, you know, some of the stuff you're doing, like on Google and using social media? You know, you, you've really had a lot of success doing that, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that is correct. Um, so, I, I mean, to be honest, I don't do a lot of Google PPC or pay-per-click for Botox and fillers. And it's really, uh, I mean, it's a conscious decision, uh, primarily because of the amount of competition that there is for those patients. And I just decided that it may not be as cost effective for me to compete with every single, you know, family practice, dermatology and, and plastic surgery, because the way the PPC works is that you know, essentially it's an auction. And you, you know, if you want to be the number one uh, listing as an ad, when somebody locally types in Botox, uh, or, um, you know, best Botox doctor near me, you're going to pay a pretty penny for that, cl- for that ad click. Think of, for example, you know, a furniture store. If you're a, low, a mom and pop furniture store and you got to compete against Raymore and Flanagan and Macy's and, and you know, other humongous um, people with bigger pockets, you're going to, it's going to really, you know, price you out of that. So for um, aesthetics, primarily, I do use a lot of social media marketing because it is less expensive. So for example, uh, Shiloh Vane and Aesthetics uh, Facebook page uh, may have a thousand followers. And so with Facebook marketing, um, you know, if you have something like, again, using this example, like, oh, we're going to have a Black Friday sale or a Cyber Monday, you put it on your Facebook page and then you can then promote it for any amount of money that you choose. So in that case, let's say you could choose for $50 and, and then you can pick uh, you know, women, but from the age of 25 to 65 within a 20 mile radius of your office and with a certain interests like beauty, health, aesthetics, et cetera. And it'll, it'll show it to whatever number of people, um, that type of demographics will go to. So let's say it's 5,000 people. It will be shown to 5,000 people. And then hopefully some of those people will choose to call you. So um, for aesthetics, in, I guess I've just made a choice to use primarily Facebook, Instagram, um, Snapchat, Pinterest as well, because women use Pinterest rather than putting money into Google pay-per-click because I'd rather put that money into things like varicose vein work and others that I know that there's not as much competition and thus the ad click is going to co- charge me, it's going to cost me less uh, per click. So um, it's a conscious decision to use primarily social media to market towards uh, aesthetic procedures. That doesn't mean that wherever you work, you couldn't consider doing it and then, you know, trying it for a couple months and seeing what you, what outcome there is, but it's going to require a lot of money. And by a lot of money, I mean, I would bet that, you know, if you wanted to market for Botox and fillers on any given month and you want to appear in the top three searches in your area, uh, you're probably going to need, you know, five to $10,000 a month just for that. And it's going to take a lot of those patients, uh, for you to make your money back. So, uh, that's why, again, with aesthetic procedures, I've used, I use primarily social media and social media marketing. I mean, for example, a couple of years back, uh, and for two years in a row, in fact, we were b- voted like best, uh, aesthetic office in Bucks County and by our clients. And when we won that award, Clearly, that's something that you want to promote. So I promoted that on my social media uh, and hopefully out of that would get more clients to say, wow, this, you know, this office sounds great. I'm going to come there. So that's how you have to sort of pick and choose where you're marketing, what you're marketing and to whom you're marketing. 
Absolutely. And I do recall the story you told me, and you'll be able to tell this better, of course. Do you have a, another doctor who's basically using your name for marketing? Well, yes, that's correct. Um, <laughs> that just happened recently. Um, it's all about keyword search in Google. So uh, when you go to a uh, any company uh, and you want to look for certain keywords in your area to market, they'll give you a list of the top, say, 50 keywords. And then based on that, you want to search. So by that, I mean, if you're marketing towards varicose veins, which is how this is happening, um, you know, you could tell your the company that's doing it for you, hey, I want to look at varicose veins and Google PPC. And they'll say, well, people aren't searching for I have venous insufficiency. They're searching for best varicose vein doctor near me. They're searching for legs hurt, uh, legs ache, you know, big veins or whatever. At least in one area, Dr. Shiloh must be coming up as a, as a frequently searched item and his company must have told him that and they chose to use Dr. Shiloh as a keyword in their own ad, meaning that if you, Mike, live in that area and you type in Dr. Shiloh, the, the first thing that will come up on Google on the ad will be uh, this particular doctor's vein office and it's a little confusing to patients because the office is relatively nearby, literally like half a mile away on the same street. And his name is um, very similar to mine. And it's also called like, you know, vascular Institute or vein Institute or something. So we've had patients get confused. I mean, I personally feel that it's nefarious. However, um, apparently uh, from what I understand, it's not uh, illegal per se, but obviously if you're doing a good enough job of marketing uh, that may happen. That's that's amazing. Um, okay, uh, so what else am I missing? Is there any, anything else you want to add, uh, just to uh, really inform the rest of us out here who aren't doing this and, and probably should be? Well, I mean, again, I think what I would get to is that you know we're held back many times by our own fear of either complications, doing it wrong, and and uh, you know what happens, what if this and that. The good things are, first of all. As let's just talk about Botox. Botox is extremely safe. There are many medical indications of it. And actually, one of the things you could maybe even get started doing that may make you feel more comfortable about it is doing Botox for migraines, which I also do. Um, again, I don't market it so much, but I have at least, I don't know, five or 10 patients who come to me every few months and get Botox for migraines. And if, if you want to feel like you're doing it more from a medical standpoint and get yourself uh, prepared for doing aesthetic it, Botox for migraine is a great way to start because injecting uh, basically, uh, number one, um, the 11s, uh, you're injecting the forehead, which would also fall into the aesthetic procedures. And in migraine work, you have to inject the temporalis muscle and then uh, use it, and Then you have to inject um, the muscle in the back of the head, the occipitalis um, and uh, the trapezius because those points patients who have migraines who, who for the, whom this works, there are spots within those muscles that are trigger points. And by paralyzing the muscle in those areas, you're able to uh, reduce the amount and frequency of their migraines. And so, as I said, it, it, there is a medical use for it. So if that makes you feel more comfortable, you can get started doing that and then say, okay, well, I'm doing a medical procedure. At the same time, you know, again, we shouldn't feel as interventionists like this isn't something that we can do. If you can hold the needle in your hand, which everybody here can, if you can inject uh, subcutaneously or into a muscle, uh, then 
you, there's no reason why you can't do this. I mean, we do it every day for uh, many other procedures, most of whom are much more complicated. And in this case, it's just a matter of knowing the facial anatomy and knowing what the counteraction is to the action of a muscle that you're paralyzing. And then again, you start with things that you're comfortable with and go from there. You pick off the easy things. You want to do the 11s, the uh, gabellar muscles and the um, procerus, which are the muscles between the eyes that form those 11s. Those are easy. Almost nothing can go wrong. Uh, the, where you can go wrong is when you start to go on the outside of the eyebrow and then you can cause a lid drop. Other than that, you really can't do anything wrong. Fortunately, I've never had it because I avoid that area. However, even if you did, it still will go away. And again, it is gratifying. People really do uh, get satisfaction out of uh, the work. We are used to uh, talking people through procedures and, and that's all this really is. And we're used to, you know, holding a needle in our hand. And so when people came to me for my migraine work, like, oh, my neurologist used to do it and they weren't so great. Well, think about it. I mean, neurologists, what procedures are they really doing on a regular basis? Whereas we're doing them every day, nonstop. And so we know how to do these things and there's no reason why we can't. And it's just a matter of being confident and being able to do it. Um, I was able to get medical malpractice insurance for it. There was no limitation there. Um, I've only had really happy clients, um, particularly with, with Botox, you know, fillers, uh, Juvederm and, and others like it, uh, take a little bit more, um, skill. The thing you do is in the beginning, you know, it's not about making a profit. It's about getting good at it. So when I first started, uh, I was offering Botox less than anybody else was. So on average now Botox costs, the cost of it is $6 a unit. Many people, let's say offer it at $12 a unit. Well, if you offer it at $10 a unit, uh, which is $2 less, doesn't sound like a lot, but times 30, or if you're really doing the eye, you know, the forehead, uh, the crow's feet next to the eyes and, and the 11s, that's a, probably on average 50 units. So that saves the person a hundred bucks. So, you know, if you, if you look at it that way and, and you say, okay, look, I'm not going to make an enormous amount of profit on this, but I got to get some few patients under my belt. It's a win-win. They're happy. You're getting, uh, you're getting um, you know, more skilled at doing it. And then over time, like now, I don't offer it for that amount. You know, we, we offer it for $12 or $13 a unit because, you know, I'm, not, I'm now no longer a novice and I should get paid and reimbursed the way that just about anybody else does. And at the same time, I'm the one who does them all. That's not being delegated to another person. It's not a nurse. It's me doing them every single time. And uh, that's what the patients and clients should be, uh, you know, rest assured. They're not going to be... I walk in and, and it's, you're going through the plastic surgeon, but it's actually his or her nurse that's doing the procedure for you. Um, as I said, fillers, uh, they're a little bit uh, more challenging, but one of the interesting things is that there are some techniques that are very much IR like, for example, the most refined way of doing lip injections or to do the nasolabial folds is by doing what's called the cannula technique, which Instead of having a blunt needle or a larger needle, you make a tiny incision with a uh, like a 25 gauge needle. You know, I mean, you don't you use the needle to make the incision, and then you use a 27 gauge blunt ended cannula, uh, which literally looks like a long needle with a blunt end and a couple openings. And then you advance that in through the little incision you make. So essentially, it's a subcutaneous tunnel. As you tunnel under this, you tunnel to the end point in say the nasolabial fold. You start at the corner of the, uh, the nose and, and go up the nasolabial fold and you inject the filler as you slowly withdraw. And again, it's not, 
it's not so far-fetched from many of the other things we've done. If you've ever injected a subcutaneous uh, permacath tract, the same exact thing, same exact thing. So really the only thing that I think is preventing more of us from getting involved in it is the fear of not being competent or the fear of the unknown. Um, but there really is no reason for it. It's, it's out there. Everybody is doing it. Everybody wants it. And uh, there's no reason why if you have an office-based practice of any sort that you couldn't begin to offer it. And you could also, you know, treat your own staff. Like it's one of the things that maybe another tip is like my tech and nurse, I used to treat them all the time because several reasons. One, you know, they want to look youthful and they're more than willing to let you test it out on them. Secondly, many times before you have ever stepped in the room to see the patient, they already have already spoken to the client. It's the same as in interventional radiology where you walk in to do a lung biopsy per se, and your nurse or tech has already fielded 30 questions from the patient. And in this case, if the if your assistant or your nurse in your office has had this done by you, the patient's going to say, have you ever had it done? Sure. And that, oh, he's great. It doesn't hurt. Blah, blah, blah. And so for all those reasons, it's also helpful to ensure that your assistants or staff are happy. Um, they know what the procedure's like. They, uh, they've had it and they can speak to that. And it does do a fair amount to reassure the patient or client and make them more comfortable and more comfortable with their decision. It's a really great tip. I've never thought about that that way before. <laughs> That's fascinating. Um, you know, I mean, and- it works, Mike. I mean, it really does. People, people do ask our, our assistants all the time. I mean, imagine, you know, that in the hospital that before you walk in to see a patient, they say your patient's here for a port or whatever procedure it may be while they're waiting for you. There's a very strong possibility. They've asked already, uh, your tech and nurse, is this going to hurt? Am I going to be put to sleep? We all know those questions and they've already asked those questions. So if your staff can answer those questions and then you come in and you're consistent with the same answers and they they look happy and they are happy, um, then it really goes a long way to convincing people to have this done. And keep in mind, the, you know, I, I, I think I say this at various meetings, you know, we're in sales. I mean, you are have to convince this person that you're competent and they're going to, you're going to uh, be able to perform this on them, but we do it every day. And so there really is no fear from that. I mean, you walk in and convince a new patient that you've never met before in many cases that you're going to put a needle through their chest into their lung and take a sample out, or you're going to put a port in and they have to look at you and, and feel confident that you're the right person for the job. And again, the same with aesthetics where people are actually choosing to allow you to do this. You know, you have to come off as, as pleasant and that this is, you know, you're good at this and that you can advise them. Um, the other last bit, I, I guess, of advice I would tell you is unlike are other elements of medicine where we are the ones with most of the knowledge. Many of these patients come in and they've already had Botox done 10 times by maybe five different people. They kind of know what they like. They know um, how many units they've had. And they they're, many times will direct you. And one of the points I was once told, I think it makes sense, is it's not what you see in your eye that is let's say, asymmetric or bothers your eye, but it's what the patient sees. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen a patient, I'm like, wow, those crow's feet, man, they really need to be fixed. And I said, so what are you here to do today? And they're like, oh, these lines on my forehead really bother me. And I'm like, the lines on your forehead? 
they're barely noticeable, like the crow's feet, you know. So it's it's really it's really you know people look in the mirror and they see what they perceive to be the areas that bonds and make them look and feel less less youthful. And so you have to at least initiate it and allow them to start by telling you what bothers them. That doesn't mean you can't say, okay, I understand that's not going to be a problem. That's, you know, 10 units for that. How do you feel about these crow's feet? They, they, you know, I think I can help you with that too. Well, they say, oh, you know what? Yeah, I definitely want those done. Okay. If they they don't bother me, well, then you're done. So it really is a, a, a give and take between you and the, and the client as far as what areas you're going to treat. It's not, you know, you're going to treat this liver tumor because that's there and that's the way to do it. It's, this is more of a, of a discussion and, and a negotiation per se between you and the client about what areas you're going to treat and, you know, how much it's going to cost them. Aaron, this has been fascinating and eye-opening. And I think you really did a great job of closing up the gap that probably keeps people from doing these. As you said, you know, people who are worried about not having the competency, you know, reminded from, uh, Paris Philadelphia Angio Society uh, meeting a year or two ago when Andy Kwok had said, you know, there's no group of people with better understanding of anatomy and minimally invasive techniques. You know, it makes perfect sense that we should be able to do this. Um, now that we're on the subject of, you know, muscles and precision, let, let's talk about barbecue. What do you have on right now? <laughs> well, I figured you'd get along with that. And, and I would give a shout out to Andy Kwok. He was really a... Uh, a visionary and, and, uh, someone, I mean, he was a year ahead of me at uh, Jefferson and, and I've sort of always been following Andy's career and trajectory and inspired me in many ways to do the things that, I, and he, uh, to your point, I was at the same meeting. Uh, he says that, and it's true, uh, that we are more than capable and if not some of the most able people to do it, and we shouldn't be holding ourselves back. And there is a tremendous amount of reward. I feel that, these are your patients or your clients. They weren't gifted to you by some patient or, you know, a procedure fairy that somehow magically sprinkled this procedure. They choose you and they choose to come back. And there's an amazing reward that comes with that. Now that would segue into the barbecue because people choose to come to my house and come back again and again, ribs. And actually today I fired up um, a brand new Traeger pellet smoker, uh, we have um, four racks of ribs on there. There was uh, I have I made a rub. Uh, the, I make my own rub, which is uh, not complicated to do, but it's sort of a combination of sweet and spicy, some brown sugar, uh, some little bit of kosher salt, some garlic, onion, um, a little bit of uh, a little kick, but got to make it not too kicky for my kids. And then that's it. They're going to smoke a two seventy five for about three and a half to four hours. And then I'm going to put them uh, in aluminum foil and uh, make my own barbecue sauce coming up and then uh, do the, te- what's called the Texas crutch, which is to slather the meat in the, in the meat gravy or the barbecue sauce in this case, Bunch and let them, sauce. let them cook for about another hour. And uh, there you go. You have uh, a main, uh, fall off uh, meat, fall off the bone ribs. And uh, you know, just people love them. There's, there's four racks. So uh, I'll try to save you some Mike. Thanks. I appreciate it. I can get there in, uh, let's see, give me two days. Uh. <laughs> all right. Well, it'll be, I'm sure it'll be fine, but yeah, you know, I got all this stuff going on. We got, I got a brand new pizza oven and, uh, I've been making some homemade pizzas, uh, made some homemade pita actually, uh, yesterday, just made the dough, let it rise and threw it in there. Wood fired pita. I mean, uh, 
you know, these, again, it segues the same thing. These are things I never knew how to do. I really didn't. And I just started smoking meat three, four years ago. And uh, now I have a whole array of tools to do it. And it really is the same thing. You know, uh, you start out with something simple like ribs, which are really kind of hard to mess up. Uh, You start out with Botox, pretty straightforward. Uh, And then after you start to feel comfortable with uh, basically doing simple Botox, you can start getting into slightly more complicated areas. And and to that end, there's things I don't cook because I don't feel comfortable. And there's aesthetic procedures I don't do. For example, I don't inject around the eye. You know, there's a there's a procedure where people have the teardrop uh, deformity where they sort of have a wasting of fat uh, underneath their eye. And there's a way to inject filler in there to make it kind of plump up. Well, it's just not I don't feel comfortable around the eye and and I don't you know want to do that. So uh, occasionally I've had people ask me and I've said, you know, that's just not something I do enough of that I feel comfortable with. And I'll refer you to someone I know who's expert in that. Um, again, there's the same thing. You know, I taught myself to do uh, some degree. I taught myself to do Botox and fillers with some assistance through courses and and all kinds of additional online resources. And I taught myself to barbecue same way, just, you know, watching, looking at videos, experimenting and and, uh, you know, now I have a whole array of tools and then one day you can have a whole array of aesthetic tools. Uh, so just they're not together. too far fetched from each other. And, and really the only thing that holds us back is the, you know, fear of failure. And we really shouldn't feel that way. Most of us have uh, achieved a lot in our IR career and probably learned some new procedures that we didn't know in the beginning. And uh, there's no reason why these can't be part of it. I, I strongly recommend anyone who's interested in it to just go for it. Uh, it's very low risk and really just an immense amount of reward, not just financially, but also professionally. Um, and, and it's just really a satisfying thing to be able to, to make people look better, but also feel better. And, and there is an element to that. And, and just the gratification you get, it's a lot more instant gratification than many of the other things that we do. So it's a nice balance to have that as something within your practice, along with some of the, you know, high end procedures that we do. Aaron, thank you again for taking the time to join us and and for sharing all this information. Uh, We really appreciate your input and we look forward to having you back on here again soon. And you know what, Mike, anyone who wants to reach out to me, um, I can be reached uh, many ways. I mean, obviously you can follow me on Twitter and and reach out. It's not complicated. I'm at Dr. Shiloh. Uh, You know, my uh, office web uh, is Pennsylvania Vascular Institute. And, you know, uh, so email me directly if you'd like. It's A is an Adam Shiloh, S-H-I-L-O-H, at Dr. Shiloh, D-R-S-H-I-L-O-H.com. If you need to uh, ask me any further questions or some details or specifics or something that uh, you want me to discuss somehow in, in a, a bit more formal way, um, you know, accessible. Mike knows that. I've, and, and I think Aaron does, too. They all know that, you know, I'm happy to help others uh, improve and grow their own practices. Absolutely. I can attest to that. Thanks again, Aaron. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Mike.